0: Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
1: Live from Radio Catskills Studios in Liberty, New York, this is the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for being here with me tonight. Coming up, we've got a couple of live guests. We'll be getting the latest news and headlines from The River Reporter. Ruby Rainer joins us live coming up in just a few minutes. We'll also get an update from citizens concerned about a planned development in Swan Lake. But first up, we've got some road news for New York State where Governor Kathy Hochul and the Department of Transportation have announced the renewal of 66 state roadways that have been impacted by extreme weather, including roads here in Radio Catskill's listening area. State leaders met at the DOT Waterford Fleet Facility on Monday, where they unveiled $100 million in state investments into the roads. State Department of Transportation Commissioner marie Teresa Dominguez laid out the planned roadwork. Samantha Simmons has more.
0: The funding will support the repaving of nearly 568 lane miles across 66 locations set to begin in the spring. Dominguez says keeping roads clear is a 24-7 job, and while a heavy emphasis is placed on roadway management during winter storms, the work continues after the storm passes.
2: The impacts of climate change have become so severe that uh, our workload is indeed increasing. Not only are we preparing for the snow and the incoming weather that's coming our way, but we're also preparing for what needs to happen in the spring when uh, the damage to the roadways in terms of uh, extreme high temperatures, low temperatures, freezing, thaw, that cycle takes a toll on our infrastructure.
0: Governor Hochul says the infrastructure improvements will improve roads' lifespan and make them more resilient. The Democrats said the investment could lead to increased tourism. Acting Thruway Authority Executive Director Frank Hoare says most of the year is spent preparing for the winter. He says the investment, which is part of a $32.9 billion five-year capital plan, helps keep safe and convenient travel available to New Yorkers and people from other states and countries.
3: This was a process that started months and months ago. We started prepping our, our vehicles, inspecting them, making sure that they will do the work that we need to do them. Uh, in a safe manner, we have make sure our folks are trained and retrained in the in the latest and best to provide uh, to get that mission done and, and to do it safely, and then finally to stockpile, uh, make sure we have all the materials that we need. For instance, salt uh, um, uh, and other materials to again make the road make the
4: road safe and get us get us through the winter.
0: Faced with a shortage of drivers with a commercial driver's license in recent years says there are more than 650 staff working on snow and ice operations, more than 400 vehicles, including 27 new snow plows, and nearly 130,000 tons of salt on hand. Dominguez says more than 400 drivers have been hired over the last year. She adds that the DOT is offering on-the-job training, meaning you don't need a CDL to apply. Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services Commissioner Jackie Bray says, while local and state governments are doing their best to keep the roads clear, Drivers should make a plan to keep themselves safe if they get stuck on the roads.
2: That includes things like extra batteries, extra blankets. If you haven't yet put your snow shovel in your car or uh, a blanket in your car, or some snacks in your car, or a flashlight in your car, today is a great day to do that. Um, Make sure you've got, you know, cell phone chargers. Uh, Know who you're going to check on.
0: Dominguez encourages everyone to be safe this season.
2: When the governor calls for you to stay off the roads, uh, when your local leaders and emergency officials say stay off the roads, please stay off the roads. Give DOT and our local DOT public works uh, partners a chance to do the work that they do, clearing the way to keep all New Yorkers safe.
0: Reporting from Waterford, Samantha Simmons, WAMC
1: News. And thank you to Samantha Simmons and New York Public News Network for that report. And just as a reminder, especially following uh, Commissioner Bry's warnings there, that on Monday, just uh, two days ago, Derek Kirk on this program reported that there were 18 to 24 motor vehicle accidents in Sullivan County following the first significant snowfall that we had last week. So that's worth keeping in mind uh, before the next snowfall reaches us. And, uh, you never know when that might be when it's the wintertime. But now, uh, as far as how much of that hundred million dollars will go towards fixing roads in the radio Catskill listening area, here's, uh, some of the repairs that are happening in our area in Sullivan County. Half a million dollars will go to resurface Route 52 from Schoolhouse Road, uh, to east of Willie Avenue in the village of Jeffersonville. And uh, $300,000 to resurface uh, Route 97 near Barryville from about a half mile east of Van Tyle Road to the Orange County line in the town of Lumberland. In Orange County, right in that area there, $8 million to resurface uh, Route 42 from Wilson Road uh down to the Sullivan County line near Hawks Nest and Sparrow Bush. In Ulster County, two and a half million dollars resurfaced Route 208 from Edwood, Edgewood Drive to uh, Route 4455 in the towns of Gardiner and New Paltz. And in Delaware County, nearly $700,000 will be, uh, resurfe- used to resurface Route 30 between Route 17 and Route 206 in Hancock and Colchester. So. That's an update on the road situation. Now for our weekly news roundup for The River Reporter, we go to The River Reporter's own Ruby Rayner, joining us live on the phone. Ruby, welcome back to the program. Hey,
3: Jason. Thanks for having me.
1: So um, let's get right into it. I know that you have a piece in tomorrow. Is, is your piece about the IDA in tomorrow's paper? Yes. Okay. And uh, and so let us know. So this is for Sullivan County. Is The, the IDA has taken over county grants.
3: Yes, correct. So in last week's meeting, the Sullivan County Legislature agreed to transfer the administration of revolving loan funds from Sullivan County Planning Division to the Sullivan County Industrial Development Agency. So in, a- in essence, it just basically means that the administration of these specific loans, which were offered by grants from the USDA and the Housing and Urban Development Fund will now be administered not by the county, but by this industrial development agency. Which is just to be clear, it's neither a nonprofit nor a government um, associated organization. It's something called a uh, public benefit corporation, so it is private.
1: And does 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 what you just said there fully explain what a revolving loan fund is? Yeah. So
3: these revolving loan funds are. They were issued through grants, like I said, from the USDA and the Housing and Urban Development actually as far back as 1997, and they offer reasonable loans with reasonable interest rates um, to applicants that might traditionally have been shut out of other loans from banks um, so that they can, their business loans, so that, and they're for businesses, agricultural businesses, Main Street businesses um, that people can apply for. Um, So the thought process was for why these loans should be managed by the IDA rather than the county, according to Heather Brown, the county's planning commissioner, um, is that they would be able to have better capacity to reach more people. These loans have been, it's been like, what, 30 years almost now? So and they still have um, funds to offer more of these loans. So they want to make sure that these loans get out to people.
1: Wait, you're saying it's been thirty years? Does this does that imply that? Um, are you are you saying that there there's more funds that could have gone to people that that didn't get to people in past years?
3: Yeah. So there's just they're very specific. Uh, like the loans stipulate what people and what individuals are able to actually receive them. Um, but there's more funds available, and the county. Thinks that the IDA could do a better job advertising the fact that these loans are available and um, administering them to people. Um, so they they've had them. They've had there's like I think what there's about eleven current um, users of these loans, um, and there's more funds available, and so they want to make sure that they're being used.
1: Okay, so that's why uh, you know county legislators agreed to transfer the administration of these revolving loan funds to um, the, the the IDA. Um, uh, but how are people reacting to this? How, how are is there people that support this? Is there people that oppose it?
3: Yeah. So Heather uh, Brown was very clear, the um, county's planning commissioner that. She thought it was the best fit. The IDA actually already um, administers similar loans, and they saw that there was overlap of applicants who were applying to the county and the IDA for loans, so they thought it would make more sense to have a one stop shop. Um, there was a resident um, who, at the legislature meeting, who frequently public comments said that the decision was to transfer the loans wasn't a good idea um, and that. The IDA is a big corporate welfare house, and he kind of brought into question whether the IDA's um, executive officer would make money on the closing of this contract, and uh, not actually included in the article because I wasn't able to actually get in touch with anyone by then, but for WJFF listeners, um, I spoke with Jennifer Feld from the IDA today, and she was very clear to say that there was no extra Money that they were going to make based on administering these loans from the county. So um, they won't make any more money or be paid to own the administration of these loans by the county.
1: Right. Um, And, you know, there are I do know there are folks that are generally opposed to the IDA on principle, like there are IDA critics. Uh, out there. But then I'm curious about and you might not have the answer to this might not have been what you were researching. But I am curious, uh, because we were actually talking about how IDAs are operating across New York State in regards to uh, uh, other issues at the state level here recently. On the local edition, especially the state's uh, lofty climate change goals and, and clean energy, and what roles the IDAs do or do not play in that. And I'm just curious: do are there other counties that are utilizing their IDAs in this way that you know of, and you might not know?
3: I'm not sure of. I know that IDAs typically loans like these that have come from um, federal organizations. They will administer them. That's that's not like, uncommon or out of the ordinary. Um, But I'm not sure if it's widely um, happening that counties would transfer specific loans like these to the IDA. But it would be definitely interesting to know whether this is specific to Sullivan County or is more of a general, you know, a general protocol that that other counties have also fallen in line with.
1: Right. Great. Okay. Anything else on that story? Nope. That's it. All right. Great. So, Um, Now, on the other side of the river in Pennsylvania, there is a school funding report in Pennsylvania. What's this story about?
3: Yeah. So in February, um, a judge in Pennsylvania um, ruled that the districts um, were being funded, the school districts in Pennsylvania were being funded inequitably. So she found that... um, it was highly inequitable from one school district to another and would, and it was affecting the quality and ability of the different school districts to get equal education. And the judge didn't particularly have um, a solution for how to move forward and solve the problem, but... It is the responsibility of the state's General Assembly to comply with this ruling um, and figure out a means to close the disparity between the funding in these school districts in order to have equal education.
1: Okay. And, um, you know, what what changes do you anticipate, uh, you know, because of this court ruling?
3: Yeah, so... It's a little bit of a everyone is trying to, it seems, figure out the best solution. So the General Assembly and specifically the governor, Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania, um, employed Pennsylvania Policy Center, um, which is a a nonpartisan research and policy institute to recommend to the Assembly uh, what they might think a good way to deal with this issue that they are now by law uh, needing to fix. So the Pennsylvania Policy Center um, took a look at the situation and the inequity in the different funding for the school districts, and they in concluded basically that raising school taxes um, was a political non-starter, and that the funding needed to make schools statewide more equitable must come from the state. So the state, in other words, needs to find the funds rather than the specific school districts that have less funding to raise their taxes. It would be a, they said it was just a, it would be too much of a burden on those specific um, places to be able to take that on. And so the state would need to find the funding to make it more equitable from somewhere.
1: Okay. Well, thank you uh, for that report. And then back to um, uh, Sullivan County, I know, that the warming centers are are set to reopen. Do you have details on that?
3: Yeah. So important for everyone to know that um, Sullivan County opened its two warming centers last week in Liberty and Monticello. Um, The one in Liberty is at the United Methodist Church, and the one in Monticello is at St. John's Episcopal Church. And those were the same two. They were, there was two last year that were also open, but the Health and Human Services Commissioner for Sullivan County, John Little, said that it's going to be especially important this year because of the sharp increase in evictions in recent months, which was, um, so it's, it's especially just particularly important that there are these warming centers for those who are um, unhoused and experiencing housing insecurity to be able to get warm. And through this Kind of led to a little bit of an investigation, and um, in that it is very true that Sullivan County does, in fact, have quite an issue with eviction um, rates spiking. So,
1: yeah, we've got we've got some of the the highest eviction rates in, in the state, actually.
3: Yeah, yeah, Sullivan had the sixth highest eviction rate um, in, in New York State in 2022, and also the fourth highest rate of evictions. Um, from 2019 to 2022, which is because a lot of, um, there was a lot of moratoriums during COVID placed on eviction and um, assistance for housing. And without those, eviction rates across the state have gone up, but particularly as the fourth highest, um, you know, rate of increase in Sullivan County. So it's definitely um, a particular issue here. And it's something that um, the River Reporter is going to look more into trying to discern why exactly it's much higher um, yeah. than other counties.
1: You, you know, and and I'm sorry, I I'm forgetting now who you said. Was this the uh, uh, Health and Family Services? Or was this John Little uh, making this connection yeah. between the evictions? Yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting. That's like you know, like the the head of the Health and Family Services like pointing this out for the county. At that time, was anything else said about the? The housing crisis in Sullivan County
3: yeah so he definitely he mentioned the increase in eviction in recent months um, and then he also mentioned the shortage um, of affordable and supportive housing in Sullivan County so it's definitely an issue that's been identified by by little and um, is something that as as we've talked about here is um, a countywide I think people are are looking for solutions for um, the housing
1: issue in the county. And this is something that we uh, reported on uh, in depth here on Radio Catskill on the local edition, and I invite uh, listeners to look uh, to WJFFradio.org, go to our website to see uh, past episodes of the local edition, and to sign for the local edition podcast because we've been on um, top, to make sure you never miss any edition of the local edition, because we've been on top of this issue and uh, have done some extensive um Reporting on this. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to see what you find as you continue to look in this, because this is one of the biggest stories uh, in our area, is the housing situation. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, Ruby, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight.
3: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back... We'll be talking about the planned unit development called Lake Hills Estate that could be in Swan Lake. Stay with us. listening to the local edition winner of excellence in broadcasting awards from the new york state broadcasters association radio catskill listen local Hey everybody, this is Jeff Loeffler of The Deep End and you can join me each and every Friday night from 10 to midnight as I explore the deep end of the catalogs of bands maybe you know, maybe you don't know. You'll hear some Rolling Stones, Grateful Dead, Government Mule right alongside bands like The Electric Peanut Butter, Conspiracy, Kula Shaker, and Supergrass. That's The Deep End each and every Friday night from 10 to midnight right here on Radio Catskill.
0: You're listening to Radio
1: Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. And welcome back to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm Jason Dole, and the Liberty Town Board is currently deliberating a resolution to establish a planned unit development. That's a PUD It would be called Lake Hills Estates. would be situated in Swan Lake, and the plan is for about 80 acres of land between Kelly Bridge Road and Route 55. It would border Swan Lake itself and comprise 180 private homes, several public buildings, including retail stores. During recent town board meetings and even here at Radio Catskill, uh, members of the public have voiced concerns. They're concerned about potential issues such as increased traffic, strain on existing infrastructure, environmental impacts, for an update on their uh, where they are with this project and those specific concerns. We have one of those concerned citizens on the phone with us right now. It's Cora Edwards joining us live on the phone. Cora, welcome to the Local Edition. Thank you so
4: much. It's such a great program, Jason, and um, also saying hello to all of the listeners out there in Radio Land.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so what worries you most about this project? Can you can you talk about the the, the biggest issues that are bothering you and some other residents?
4: Yes, um, let's start with the word planned unit development or the term PUD because we're in the phase one of this uh, long process. So, to my knowledge, there has not been a single planned unit development that's been approved in the town of Liberty. Even though it's been on the book since 1987, it was set up for a project at Grossingers, which didn't, uh, pass and also for a project at the, um, Lib- Town of Liberty Golf Course on 52, which, uh, didn't come to pass. So you have to ask yourself, first of all, what is a planned unit development? And long story short, it's a floating development. It's a floating zoning district which can then be uh, sent as an application to the town board, and in this case, this zoning district where they want to put 180 unit development is on a rural development zone, which is one house on three acres. So if you look at 180 units on 79 plus, 80 or 80 acres, you don't come out with one house on three acres you end up with a high-density
1: development. So you, are you that's saying that, that like the, the, the framework for this type of proposal, that the fact that a proposal like this could be made allows a proposal to bypass other standards for development in a given area?
4: And the word bypass is the operative word because then it will send a signal, and that's why we're calling this a bad precedent. It will send a signal to any developer that you can build on any zone regardless of what the restrictions of that zone might be. So you may be living in a rural development zone or you may be living in an agricultural conservation zone and you find out one day that the town board is considering a planned unit development in your neighborhood. And that's why we're so strongly at this stage voicing concern and alarm because the Nature of swan lake is, is such a fragile ecosystem it 's one of the few lakes of its size that still has clean water in it and it supports a tremendous amount of wildlife habitat and eighty acres of forest
1: um, and so uh, and I know that the, the, that we 've had a couple of folks are concerned about this on, on air a couple times now, and i 'm wondering. Um, what kind of response you're getting when you attend these meetings, uh, both from uh, uh, the, the the town board? How's the town board responding, and how are the developers responding to what uh, everybody's saying at these meetings? Well,
4: uh, the way that the town board has been responding is that we've had to push and push and push for them to do even the most minimal amount of due diligence. It was a four-page application, and you look at PUD applications from other counties that may number 25 pages for starters with environmental uh, and economic feasibility studies at this stage, because right now what the town board is looking at is the zoning aspect before it even goes to the uh, planning board. So I had asked all of the Town board members, have you visited this lot, this site, or is everything just on paper? Are you just overlaying a development that seems to have happened in other places because you think it's going to work in in an area? Lake Hills, it's the word hills is the operative word. You can have a sewage treatment plant adjacent to the wetlands that go into the lake, so what we're trying to do is get the town board to understand this is the first PUD that you're looking to pass and you need to do above and beyond because it's setting a bad precedent for the rest of the town and the county.
1: So what happens next in this process? Can you give us like a, a quick timeline for uh, well, when the next, the next decisions next step will be in
4: made? The process. The, yes. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. So the so this started in May. Was the first time that it was brought up and then there's been a lot of directive from the developer's attorney saying when they should start the when the town board should start the review process and so on monday december 4th either at six thirty or 7 pm we have to get the time from the town board um confirmed is when the town board is going to vote um they need a three-person majority vote to decide whether to pass the PUD application to the planning board for their consideration, which is then another 60 days, and then it goes back to the town board. So, as I said before, we're still in phase one of this long process, but we want to set, send the alarm out to as many people as possible that we really want a town board that values the tremendous natural resources and recreational resources that this county, this town has to offer because that's much more valuable than yet another high-density development.
1: And you're saying that meeting's uh, on this coming Monday?
4: Correct, Monday, December 4th at the um, Liberty Senior Center in La Park. That's 119. North Main Street, and I have to hand it to the residents and taxpayers of Liberty who've shown up coming with, you know, um, air water filters that have been contaminated, you know, from other developments because of, you know, the effect it has on the water supply. Uh, realtors who've gotten up and spoken about how this PUD sends a really bad signal and just the average resident and taxpayer that's horrified that they're going to be swallowed up by high density developments
1: if and we're going to have to go in just a minute but i wanted to ask you real quick if if the sure. developers modified plans so that they comport with existing zoning and address other environmental concerns you have would 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 you be more amenable to a project like that
4: if and this is a big if jason The current zoning is one house on three acres. Does that fit with their profit motive? From 180 units to what would ostensibly be one house on three acres. That's a completely different kettle of fish. And they still have to go through all of the Department of Health, Department of Environmental Conservation, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Delaware River Basin Commission, because all of these authorities, governmental authorities, have oversight on Swan Lake.
1: All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for giving us this update and and uh, letting us know how you feel about this. Uh, we're going to have to go in about 10, 15 seconds. Is there anything else you want to let folks know? Well, if you can uh, tune in on Monday,
4: uh, it, I think we'll probably have it on a, a live feed.
1: Okay. So. The the board meeting is happening if people can't attend in person. Core Edwards, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight.
4: Jason, you guys are great. And thank you so much for inviting us. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Well, that's going to be it for the local edition. Do stay tuned. Do keep, thank you for listening here, first off, but do keep listening online at wjffradio.org as well. Or ask your smartphone, your smart device to play Radio Catskill. Coming up at 7 o'clock, we got the Retro Cocktail Hour. Before that, it's news from The Daily. Right here on Radio Catskill, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, The Daily's now.